Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning comes from three different books of the Bible. I'll be reading from the New International Version in all three. First, Jeremiah 2, verse 13, and verses 17 and 18. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? Now why go to Egypt to drink water from the Nile? And why, and why go to Assyria to drink water from the Euphrates? Psalms 22, verses 1 and 2, and verses 14 through 18. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot shed, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Finally, John 19:28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. You know, I've discovered that when we begin to feel thirsty it's often too late. That's when we recognize our thirst, it's often too late. Let me explain. It's something I've learned over the years of cycling, often through the, the hard way of experiencing seizing muscles on a long ride. You know, unlike a 20 to 30 minute workout in the gym, cycling is an endurance sport that often draws out more water from your body than you realize. You're constantly moving, the wind is blowing, so you're not always feeling like you're drenched in sweat. And before your muscles start cramping, before your mouth starts to feel dry, there are things going on in your body that if you don't keep hydrated, will prevent you from continuing on. So I've learned to keep drinking every 15 minutes before I start to feel thirsty. Now, I don't mean to say that it's always too late to recover when we start to feel thirst. But when our bodies tell us that we're thirsty with a parched mouth or when our muscles begin to cramp, our bodies have already begun to enter a process of distress. Unless we quench our thirst, death is at the end of that trajectory of distress. You see, your body is 60% water held within every single cell of your body. And as I understand it, your thirst mechanism work like, works like this. When water volume drops in your body and the salt concentrations rise out of normal range, the brain begins to signal to the rest of the body saying, you're thirsty, Andrew, you're thirsty. The body begins to withdraw water from all the cells and into the bloodstream so that they can support the primary organs in the core of your body. And that's why your muscles begin to cramp. It's your body pulling water in from the muscles, which hold a lot of water volume to the core organs that keep you alive. 
And all the cells in your body will start to shrink when you're dehydrated, but it's your brain cells that matter the most, which is why often when you're dehydrated, you can experience confusion and make poor decisions. And after that, it's your kidneys that go first because the body lacks water and salt. And because of that, there's a buildup of waste in the blood and blood volume decreases. And that precipitates organ failure. That's why when you're stuck in an emergency, the first thing you need, assuming you don't need first aid, is just to get water into your body. Our thirst is a signal of distress. So when you feel thirsty, all these things that have already started to begin in your body. And when we recognize our thirst, it's often too late when you're cycling to stop the cramps. You know, as we begin a new Easter sermon series entitled Words of Humanity, we're reflecting on how the words of Jesus are words that express the depths of our true humanity. Over the next few weeks, we'll explore how Jesus' humanity leads us to embrace Jesus' divinity. And today we're going to explore his statement, I thirst, that David just read from us from John chapter 19. The statement reveals not only Jesus' physical distress, but also the distress of all humanity. And so we're going to look at this in three steps. One is thirst. What is that? Two, how do we quench our thirst and how does Jesus quench his thirst? And three, how do we find comfort in Jesus' thirst that he expresses? Well, as we've been talking, thirst is a part of our humanity. We all experience it at some point. But it's more than a physical thirst. We experience thirst for connection and relationship. We experience a thirst to be seen and to be recognized. Thirst for influence and and that our lives matter to to someone else. We thirst for justice and for the world to be set right. We thirst for relief from pain. Thirst to uh, resolve the unknowns in our lives. And why is it that we thirst for all these things? Just as thirst in our bodies is a signal for the beginning of distress in our bodies, that is something, that something is out of balance. Our thirsts are indeed what make us human. We realize that without connection, without mattering to someone, without the world being set right, without an end to our pain, the end trajectory of our thirst seems like death. And viewed this way, our thirsts are in fact a gift though to help us recognize that something is off kilter in our lives or, it, or in our world. The Christian story describes how the thirsts of humanity are a signal of our disconnection from the living God. And throughout the biblical narrative, we see the allusion to God as the source of water that gives life. We heard that in the call to worship. You know, God in the Old Testament provides water from a rock in the desert for a thirsty people. God provides water to heal the leprosy of a Syrian army commander named Naaman. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus turn water into wine for the worried host of a wedding celebration. And in the new creation, the new city of God, we hear how water is what flows from the center of the city, the temple, to all the, the world that will bring healing to the world. This theme of water and God and life are all intertwined. When our bodies are dehydrated, toxins begin to build up in our body and our brains aren't able to function and execute decisions as well 
as our body begins to shut down its extremities. And the only solution to this problem in our bodies is to get water into our body. We can't level out those imbalances ourselves, and we can't flush out the toxins in our body by ourselves. We need outside intervention, and usually that's simply a drink of water. But when it gets really bad, we need water and fluids directly injected into our veins through intravenous needles. The question is, is how do we go about satisfying these thirsts? When our bodies thirst and we're low on energy, we think that coffee or, or juice or soda will give us a boost. But the caffeine and the sugar dehydrates us more than after that initial boost of energy. What we really need is pure water. And that's the problem the story of Scripture reveals for us. Not only are we in need of an outside intervention, an outside source of water, but we often look to the wrong source to satisfy our thirsts. And that's what the prophet Jeremiah says to Israel, saying, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me at the spring of living water and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Two sins, turning away from God, and secondly, building their own containers for holding water. And verse 18 says, and now what do you gain by going to Egypt to drink the waters of the Nile? And what do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? The prophet Jeremiah challenges Israel for turning to the neighboring nations of Egypt and Assyria for sustenance rather than to the Lord. They look to what they can see in the strength and the success of their neighbors rather than to the living God. And isn't that what often goes on in our hearts as well? We try and fill ourselves up and medicate our lives. We rationalize a particular moral decision, but our attempts simply numb what is really going on. The thirsts of our human experience, whether they are physical, relational, or emotional, are all a signal of this thirst for God and the goodness that God offers to all creation. This dehydration comes from being disconnected from God as the source of all life and satisfaction. It's a reflection of sin's effect on our humanity. So the question is, is how do we quench our thirsts? We get a glimpse of this in Jesus' journey to the cross. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 34, that uh, was her, uh, that we, oh, that he, Jesus said, we hear this. There they offered Jesus wine to drink. This is the bystanders, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. In Matthew's account, Jesus, at this point, has been flogged already. Skin and flesh are likely hanging off his bones, as the psalmist predicts many years before. He's stripped naked. He's forced to carry the splintered crossbeam that we have kind of going on behind us here, where he's carrying this crossbeam to Golgotha, where the place he will be crucified is. He's lost blood, so his body is in distress at multiple levels, physically, psychologically, and emotionally. And along the way, he's walking on this road, the bystanders see that he is in pain, and so they offer him a drink. Perhaps this was the drink that was needed to satisfy his thirst. Yet, Matthew tells us that Jesus tastes it, but he refuses to drink it. Why is that? Now, we're told here that the drink they offer Jesus is wine mixed with gall, or myrrh, as Mark reports in his gospel. Myrrh was used as a sedative and is mixed with wine 
to dull the pain. But you might ask, well, why not alleviate pain? What's wrong with that? Why not take a drink to rehydrate? After all, isn't that human to want to find comfort in distress? You know, in his crucifixion, we see the end trajectory of dehumanization. Jesus, the perfect, sinless human, has his humanity and his dignity literally beaten from him. And the reason we spend time reflecting on Jesus' path to the cross in the season of Lent is to remember how Jesus is not only an inspiration, but he is our substitute for the toxin of sin that we find in our lives. Jesus is Adam version 2.0. Jesus is the new and perfect human, but he does not live that new humanity without first experiencing the worst of our humanity affected by the depths of sin. Jesus takes on our dehydration and its effects. Jesus takes on the ultimate dehumanization and being separated from the living God when he gives up his life on the cross. And Jesus experiences the worst part of a sin-infected humanity to the nth degree. He experiences thirst for relief, for water, and for breath. You see, when a person is crucified and they're hanging on the cross, they don't actually die from pain or from blood loss. A person who is crucified dies because of asphyxiation. We sang about every breath and depending on God. You see, on the cross, your body's weight is supported by the nails through your hands and through your feet. So you're hanging there, and that's painful. And so your upper body is stretched out, weakened from blood loss. And in order to take a breath, you must use what strength you have to pull on the nails through your wrists and push up on the nails that are going through your feet so you can take a breath and stretch out again. On the cross, Every last breath feels like it should be your very last breath, but it can last for days. And that's why crucifixion was so brutal. In John chapter 19, as we heard read, Jesus says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. As he hangs on the cross, Jesus is offered another drink of wine, a second drink this time. But this time, he takes it rather than refuse it. He's on the verge of death, and the soldiers offer him this sour wine. And this sour wine is a cheap wine that the frontline soldiers and peasants would drink. And he takes this so that his life would be prolonged, just enough for him to proclaim that last statement before he gives up his life. It's only after all of his suffering was complete that Jesus takes a drink before uttering that last sentence that it is finished. You know, the road to the cross is the road of suffering that Jesus takes completely for every human that doesn't walk to walk that road to its end. We see the full expression of our thirsts in the humanity of Jesus. Yet because Jesus was not only human, just human, he was also God. We see God's character displayed in the scene as well. In the midst of all these thirsts and all, these, all this suffering and all this pain, he embraces it all in its completion. We see that Jesus also has the power to forgive soldiers who mock him, to forgive the thief that's hanging beside him who trusts him, 
to refuse a sedative to dull the pain on the way to the cross. And as he sees his mother before him, who's likely a widow at this point, he has enough power and resource to think of how he will provide care for her, to support her for the rest of her life. Jesus experiences the depths of all of our distress and all of our thirst so that we, and he takes it to the end, to the cross, to its death, and he invites us to trust him with our thirsts. You know, this week has been an intense week for me personally with these, the news of the Atlanta shootings. I have appreciated the thoughtful words that many of you have sent me in recent days. And I admit, though, I have been rather, rather reticent to respond both publicly and just to, to people because I have been processing the facts as they've been coming out and what it means for me as an Asian American. Of course, the first response is sadness and grief in the senseless loss of Soon Chung Park, Hyun Jung Grant, Soon Cha Kim, Yong A. Yu, Delena Ashley Yang, Xiao Jie Tan, and Dao Yu Feng, and Paul Andre Michel. We grieve their loss of their lives and the loss to their families. And there's anger as I question the working of race in this heinous crime and the initial statements of the sheriff's department. But as I began to think about it and read the reports as they came out, there was a complex web of questions related to race, class, gun violence, the immigrant experience, the fetishization of Asian women, why 24-hour massage parlors actually exist. There's exclusion happening and a particular expression of the Christian faith in this event. And that that may, all these things make an explanation for this event as more than just another example of rising Asian American violence, which is totally a thing, especially in this past year. Now, in relation to the message today, I'm particularly interested in the thirsts and the longings of Robert Aaron Long that led him to take the actions that he did take. And I think that is a conversation that America does not do well. We all have thirsts and longings. And many of us connect those longings for intimacy and for connection with sexual desire, as Mr. Long seemed to do. He was this young man who appeared to have the story, uh, have heard the story of Jesus and responded in sincere faith through baptism. He was serving in the church. He grew up serving in the church and going on missions as a youth. Yet he admittedly struggled with sexual temptation and pornography and was a customer of at least two of these massage parlors. Now, these longings were of such concern to him that he entered into recovery programs to find relief. But these longings overtook his life to such a degree that ultimately his family kicked him out of the home on Monday night. And so on Tuesday, he went to the store, bought a gun, and went on to shoot those involved in this industry that, he, in his mind, represented the cause or the, of, of his temptations. After he was arrested, his childhood church issued a statement that his membership status was revoked and, in fact, declared that, quote, we cannot truly affirm that he is a regenerate believer 
in Jesus Christ. The church made a public statement like that. Wow. Do you see what I mean about a complex web of questions? I think there's more going on than just race. Now, we may or may not direct our longings in the same way that this young man has done. But I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we likely experience thirsts and longings for intimacy, for connection, and for relief in our lives like this young man does. The question for all of us is, where do we go for relief? Who will we go to to quench our thirsts? It may not be a massage parlor. It might be something else. In the Lent season, we are reminded that of, of, this, Jesus's, Jesus, of this Jesus who thirsts as well. Now, a more humanist approach to Jesus might look to him as a role model or inspiration to live a satisfied and a moral life. You know, we're good enough to solve our own thirsts if we just follow the example of Jesus. But you see, Jesus is more than a role model. A more fear-based religious approach might to see Jesus as this disappointed big brother with crossed arms looking down on us with head shaking every time we step out of line. But we'll never be good enough and find relief with this kind of Jesus because Jesus is not a, a brooding bully. What we find in Jesus is not a bully and not just a role model. Jesus is, in fact, our substitute. And in that, we can find comfort. See, Jesus thirsts himself. He thirsts all the thirsts that we could ever imagine for ourselves and takes those thirsts to the very end. Jesus embraces the thirsts of all humanity and takes on the distress of those thirsts for us. And so we can truly find relief in Jesus. Whatever it is you are going through, whatever you think that no one understands, know that there is one who truly knows and his name is Jesus. He knows your longings and your thirsts and he's embraced them on your behalf. He takes the poison of the bitter cup of the cross to drink the poison of all the false drinks that we turn to that ultimately will kill us. So we can find comfort in Jesus who thirsts. More than offering himself as a substitute, Jesus also offers himself as a satisfaction. When we take in Jesus and drink of him and his life, we drink from the deep springs of living water that bring healing, that bring refreshment and flourishing to our lives, but also through our lives to the world around us. Drinking of this deep spring offered in Jesus does not mean that our life is free from thirst and longing. But in those longings, difficult as they may seem, we are offered a gift to remind us that something is off balance and they are a reminder to return to Jesus, to find satisfaction. And as we return to Jesus, we find that he gives us the resource we need to proceed down the path. My friends, are you thirsty? Come to Jesus and find life in that longing. Amen.